Fred Savage is dead. Fred Savage is not dead. Hey everybody, welcome to the Dime That Podcast. I am Tyler, joined tonight by Megan Bard. Hello. Hi, and Peter Bard. What's up? Nothing. And Kevin Meacham. Evening. Good evening. And drumroll, making his A Dime Bad podcast debut, Chris Licata. What's up? I'm Russ. Exactly. It's good to to have you on. Hey, guys. Russ said he was going to join and then got day drunk with his sister and completely no-showed the pod. (laughs) So that's where we're at right now. I respect it. I really do. You know, honestly, like, you know, get get it where you can, you know. Upgrading the Licata. Yeah. Honestly. (laughs) It could be much worse. Well, I did get Russ verified on Twitter, so. You're basically his manager. You get 10% of everything he makes. <laughs> yeah, but I also have 90% of his awful tweets. Yeah, he gets to pick which tweets you own, which is unfortunate. <laughs> it's all the it's all the Russ bot tweets. Exactly. And as always, the Dimebag Podcast is brought to you by Homefield Apparel, <laughs> manufacturers of great vintage-esque Yukon gear. Peter's wearing a Homefield shirt. Which one do you have on, Peter? Explain it to our listeners. That's Quaaludes, John. It sure is Quaaludes, John. And I have on... Which one's this, Megan? How do you describe this guy? That's Goofy. That's Goofy John. Goofy John. That's early Goofy John. This is yeah. my go-to shirt now because it is the sweatshirt without the hood, which is not a look I'm familiar with. Like, it's not one I, I usually mean, embrace. It's, it's not a look I'm familiar with post, like, 1993. Yeah, 100%. But, but those were very popular when I was in middle school. Yeah. And honestly, Which it is, is great, and I and I adore it, and I encourage you all to buy it. To be clear, since this is radio, you are talking about the mid '90s Yukon logo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I probably owned this shirt in a children's small, <laughs> like this exact shirt. Probably, you know, and it costs approximately the same when you use code a dime back at checkout, and you get twenty percent off your first order. God damn, I'm getting so good at this. Man. To to be clear, for the other Quaaludes, John is seventies, John. You know, for obvious reasons, and also because it looks like someone was on Quaaludes when they drew it. It looks like the dog I, melted. The dog, yeah, the dog is. I, I call him the melting. Dog was on Quaaludes. <laughs> I mean, a little bit of that too. It works on several levels. Anyway, you can go to adimeback.com/homefield, and again, use code adimeback to get twenty percent off. All right. So I don't really know where we should start. As I was saying right before we hit record, I had a bunch of like <laughs> a doomsday notes, mostly because I thought they would make a lot of you mad. But also uh, there were just things I wrote down because I was uh, I, I knew nothing good would happen if I tweeted about them. But we should probably start with some of the good stuff because UConn actually has looked pretty, pretty good so far this year. Um, I think the thing I'm most encourage about two things that we'll take one at a time but team defense i think is really the the brightest spot so far this year i mean what are you guys seeing on the defensive end of the court i i mean i guess to me the brightest spot is we came into this year saying we need james booknight to turn into a superstar all right i guess we're starting with point number two i was going to get to it but fine let's go book book being a star number one let's go the the best thing that's happened so far this year is we played good team defense and to me the best thing that's (laughs) happened is that booknight has been better than I hoped. Yeah. I was hoping for like a 20 point a game guy. And he's like, I'll be a 20 point a game guy most of the time, but maybe I'll throw in a 40 point game. Actually think about you a lot, Peter, generally, but in this instance, because there was a pod we did at some point 
or maybe I don't know, we're retrocast, who the fuck knows anymore. But like before the season started and we were talking about book and we were like, yeah, he should be a good scorer. And then at some point you were like, or I don't know, maybe he's Ray Allen. Maybe he's Ray Allen. I don't know. And for whatever reason, your voice saying that is in my head uh, a lot this year. As every time I watch book, like do crazy shit, I go, maybe he's Ray Allen. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Like I mean, it's been a minute since somebody had a 40 point game at UConn. It's been a minute. It's been since Amita Brahma. I was at that game. It wasn't that long. But even longer since it was against somebody worthwhile. Like, lighting up Coppin State. Yeah. Versus Booknight eating Creighton alive. Man. Like, it breaks my heart that we didn't win that game for a number of reasons, most of which is because we would be, like, a top 15 team if we had won that game and we're, like, a couple of made free throws away. But, like, it does sort of change the tenor of things now because, like, I feel like Creighton was getting the, like, we are the second best team in the Big East and like a lot better than everybody else. And now I was like, Mm-mm, not so fast. Book has been amazing, but I will bite a Tyler's prompt because I can fucking pay attention. Uh, and yes, the team defense is. I'm a disruptor. Unbelievably good. And like, I was really nervous about it because of all the missed practice time and the stopping and the starting and the stopping again, like all that nonsense. And the fact that it's been so good this quickly is like they're going to eat some people's lunch this year and it's going to be fun as hell i mean cole is just an absolute lockdown defender i mean the (laughs) guy is just i I can't remember the last time we've had somebody who can just absolutely completely neutralize another team's best score uh like that i mean he's just incredible to watch i think yeah probably boat yeah, both. Oh, yeah, yeah, that would be both. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I guess that's, it wasn't that long ago, but still. That's the other reason I'm sad about the Creighton loss is because overall his game, like Cole, had such a great game, and his defensive game was 40 minutes plus of phenomenal, and then like those missed free throws are just like. Zagorowski had 11 points on 14 shots, with Cole as his primary defender. Like that's a lot of those were bad, not open looks from three. And you know what's cool about that, too, is uh, I forget what even was at this point, but the first game of the year, Cole was bad on defense. Like, do you remember? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we well, talked a lot. Yeah, but, you know, like, um, we, you know, we talked a lot about Cole and, like, my biggest worry about Cole, and I, I think we're actually seeing this still on the offensive end, was just that, like, it would take him a while to get back up to speed. And I think we really saw that. But, man, did he click in on defense fast. And he is really, sure really did. good on the defensive end. Hurley just seems like a great defensive coach. Which is awesome because as we've seen, he's like, got a tracker. You can win any game in college basketball by playing good defense. Now, there is nobody in the country you can't beat. I mean, maybe Gonzaga, but like, you can win any game at any night playing the level of defense that Hurley has them playing. And the good yeah. part is that we have probably the conference's best shot blocker about to be activated. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see maybe maybe it's yankees fatigue but i'm at the point with injuries where it's like i need to see the person back in uniform before i believe the like <laughs> he's returning any minute though i mean they've been doing they've been doing pretty well on the blocks anyway they're like ninth in the country right now uh yep. for blocks so it's not like it's not like they really even need that much help so it's gonna be yeah it's gonna be absurd though i have I have lots of thoughts on our lineups at the moment, and I would like to give at some point my treatise on Isaiah Whaley needs to stay in the middle all the time. Um, so when we're ready for that, but just real quick, uh, we are 12th in the country in blocks per game. So we're blocking quite a few shots already led by Whaley's 2.4 game. Whatever the tier underneath like Brimo level shot blocker is, that's where Whaley is right now to me. Like he's, he's, he's really, really good. 
His timing is excellent. That being said, uh, <laughs> should probably stay on the fucking court a little more to block some more shots. Yeah. Sorry, I'm delving into my <laughs> upset the apple cart bullets. <laughs> It's hard, it's hard to really take any trends away because we're five games into a season and two of those games have been played in the last 40 days or so. Right. <laughs> so, like, the, the things that have happened in the last month, by which I mean two games, seem like they're uh, sticking out a lot more than maybe they will in a month. Well, I've also noticed in the last couple of games, I'm going to apparently start this now, that Hurley's been starting with the two bigs lineup, which, like, I get on the one hand, but I also think it's, like, our least effective lineup and also the one that uses our personnel the in the least effective way like to me having isaiah whaley guarding the four like takes him away from two of his best skills which are ball screen defense and shot blocking like why do you have him like why do you have him guarding a guy who's going to be out on the perimeter instead of the guy who's going to be setting the screen at the top of the key like that doesn't make sense to me because there's nobody who plays better ball screen defense than Whaley and you want him staying home in case somebody gets past your guards to block the shots like I just don't think he's as effective guarding the four even and if- how many times have we seen that happen this year where he's drifted out to the perimeter for whatever reason and then there's a drive to the basket and the and it's just an easy layup or a foul and a layup yeah, to me, it just, and to be frank, I feel like our wow. offense runs a lot better when there's an extra ball handler instead of the extra big. Like, you've got Martin. He is big enough to play at the four. He can get those rebounds, obviously. Like, put another ball handler on the floor. The offense runs much more smoothly with extra people who can handle the ball. And they can get up and down the court better. Like, I just don't think Carlton and Whaley on the court at the same time is terribly useful for any of us. Especially because it's not like they're playing huge, huge guys on the other side. Like, I would get it if we were playing huge dudes, but, like, let's just be faster than them instead. I'm not that mad at it, to be honest. I mean, Hurley, I don't like, I, it. like, I think we should probably at some point come to terms with Hurley's teams don't play fast. You know, like, they are not an up-tempo team. Frankly, they're just not a great offensive team. And I think James Booknight being Ray Allen masks a little bit of that at the moment i mean like for me still the biggest need right now is somebody to emerge as like the consistent second scorer we all i i'm sure we all thought it was going to be cool i think we might all still think it was going to be cool but i'm fine with the big lineup if it helps mitigate whaley's foul trouble because i actually think whaley becoming a 10 point a game guy 11 12 point a game guy is probably the best thing that could happen for their offense right now. And if that takes playing Carlton on defense, like that's fine. Like Carlton has more upside on offense and defense than Gaffney for me right now. Like I'm fine going big if it keeps Whaley on the floor. We also, I mean, they haven't been playing together very much. They did start together against Creighton, but I don't think they played more than a few minutes together in that game. Yeah, and he's, I mean, but he's done like Sonogo and Whaley too, which is, I think, a little bit. I mean, I guess it depends on which Carlton you're getting because they seem to, yeah, there be different versions of Carlton. Or which Sonogo you're getting. Right. Yeah. Like, but I don't know. I just, to me, it feels like they're better. I think they're better in transition than they are in the half court, but I think their half court runs a lot better when there's one more ball handler on the floor. And I think that to, to get your offense functioning, they need to do things that make it run better. Cause it just seems like when there's two bigs on the floor, it's just like, there was, a lot, it felt like there was a lot more turnovers. It felt like there were like a lot more like messed up sets. Like, like the play just didn't go off the way, even if it wasn't a turnover, like they didn't get the shot they were trying to get. I'll be interested to see. I think once a cook comes back, that's going to kind of solve that issue because 
he gives you a big who who can handle the ball a little and can shoot a little bit. And with is particularly if it's him and Whaley out there, both of those guys can stay away from the basket a little bit. Both of them can block shots. Uh, I I would like to see that lineup <clears throat> a bit more than we did before a cook got hurt last year. I also think they win the great game if Polly plays. Maybe, or maybe he goes zero for six and plays dog shit defense. It, it's, like you don't know if he's going to be a negative on any given day. Sure, but he's just that one guy you can put in the middle to flip the lineup in either direction, and that's kind of what they miss without him. Like when you have to choose between Adams or Gaffney on the court, or like an ineffective Carlton or Sonogo making the lineup bigger. Like that was the only option, and none of those guys were really playing well. Like that's. I will say, at the end of the game when nobody could buy a bucket, yeah. it would have been nice to have someone else to go to to see if somebody else could make a shot. Because they're like, right at the end of the game in OT, it's just like everybody, nobody could make a bucket. You know, with the exception of that, you know, six-week period last January and February where Polly completely went cold, Polly's been consistent at being able to drill a couple of threes a game. And I guess that in that Creighton contest, I mean, there was nobody hitting threes at all. It would have been nice to have Polly jump off the bench and, and bury one or two threes during the course of that one. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, too. It's like, it, it's one thing, but the, Cole and Gaffney can't make open shots. You know what I mean? Like, especially Gaffney, they just can't make open threes. And the like side effect of that is Book has to work so fucking hard to get every single look. Like, I don't know how that guy's still walking. He works harder to get eight shots than I think I've ever seen a UConn player have to work to get their their looks. On the plus side, like all of a sudden he's figured out how to get to the line 10 times a game, which is amazing. Book is, it feels like he might be the best pure scorer we've had since I mean, 10. Just as, a, just as a scorer. I might say Kemba, but I'm with, I, I'm, I'm, I hear you. Yeah. I mean, Kemba, Kemba did a lot more. That's why I'm not. I know what you mean score. by this, because right. like Gordon, he has a lot of ways to score. Right. We're like, he can, he can shoot. He can get to the line. He has, he's very athletic. He's a great finisher. Transition. Great in transition. I mean, his game does remind me a lot of Gordon's, but longer in like. Yeah. Sort of Gordon's game mixed with Lamb's. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Lamb was another one I was thinking of, like comparable, but he's a better. Like, he's better in every way than Jeremy Lamb was. And Lamb was damn good. Yeah, I was hoping for Lamb when we recruited him. I thought, right. this guy's underrated. He's going to be as good as Jeremy Lamb. And it turns out I was I was still underrating him because he's better. Well, Book is also, like, because his offense is so amazing and because he's really our only offense at the moment, like, I think we're probably over. He's played really good defense, and he is a really good rebounder. Like, he yeah. does uh, – he is so far – like heads and shoulders, our best player right now. It's pretty wild oh, to yeah. watch. His hustle on the court is a constant game changer. I mean, he is out there diving for every loose ball. I mean, he is chasing down defenders from one end of the court to the other. Uh, and just, I mean, his athleticism just changes the game in so many different ways on both ends of the court. Talk to me about Tyrese Martin, who obviously went crazy against DePaul, had a great game. What are your realistic expectations going forward? Do you think he's going to be streakier? Do you think he settles into somewhere in that sort of middle of, you know, not as good as we saw against DePaul, but not as bad as we saw against, was it Creighton where he was like 0 for 6? Yeah. Yep. What do you guys expect? Hard to I mean, he's always been a little streaky. You know, he's the kind of guy who can get hot from three 
and bury people. I mean, obviously, I think this stuff like the offensive rebounding is going to be consistent. Which With is him, phenomenal. I, I uh, yeah, there's so much of his game that's that's that brings value that even if he's shooting poorly, I still want him on the court all the time. But yeah. I really hope he shoots well because that makes our offense so much better. Right, having that extra score and a guy who can score from every level, he can you know he can drive to the basket. He can, I mean, for particularly for a, a perimeter player, a spectacular offensive rebounder, mm-hmm. and at times he's a very good outside shooter, but at times he's not. Do you think he can be a cons- he can be consistent enough to be that second scoring option? We have to hope that one of several guys provides the second scoring option on any given day. I don't. We don't. This team doesn't have a Kaladelami, or right, you know, right. a, or a Ryan Boltwright or DeAndre Daniels even, right. or whoever of Okafor and Gordon was the <laughs> secondary scored. You know, we don't. That's not the way this is going to work. It's going to be Book Knight is going to have to shoulder the load. And you need either Cole or Martin or maybe Gaffney or Polly or Whaley to produce some offensive value. Uh, I mean, there's going to be some game where Brendan Adams shows up and like just starts bombing threes. Like, who knows? Who knows who this is going to be from like one day to the next? But some, the problem is the days like Creighton where it's nobody and then we're in trouble. Yeah. And you waste so much time trying to figure out who it is. I'm pulling up a tweet that I wrote during the DePaul game because I, I, I think this is probably, I mean, this is what I wrote. The, the formula that makes sense moving forward is that you're going to get Book having a good night, which you'll have, you know, 90% of the time. You need one of Cole and Martin to score. You need one of Carlton and Whaley to give you, you know, eight points, eight rebounds, somewhere, you know, a double-double somewhere around there. And you need something from one of Adams, Gaffney, Polly. I think right right now, if you get all those things, and like all of those things are pretty repeatable, yeah. Because Cole will have an off night, but Martin maybe won't have an off night. So there's some like redundancies built into the team because of the way the talent is structured. Yeah, I think if any of if all of that happens on one night, they're not losing. They're not going to lose a single game if all three or four of those things happen. I think you know what concerns me in the short term is can they win when only one and a half of those things is happening, which is happens, you know, like it's already happened. And then I'm really worried about the point guard play generally on offense. I mean, Gaffney has been, I I think a net negative so far this year, Cole, while showing a lot of really, good skills like he he's shown that really nice little floater game he's gotten hot a few times made a nice couple plays but he is not doing a very good job running the offense like the offense cannot get book queen looks which i realize is going to be hard because everyone's guarding a player of the year contender but they just have to make it easier for him and cole is not good enough at it yet like that's what i'm most curious to see from hurley because all the rest of it like I wasn't expecting him to be this good at offensive rebounding, but I was expecting him to fucking hustle. I wasn't expecting him to be this good on defense, but I was expecting him to work. So all of that is great. But now, like, I really want to see what Hurley can do to, like, fix point guard play. You'd think he'd be particularly well-suited for it right? since he was a point guard in a, a family one. of point guards. <laughs> yeah. But I, 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 now that I think about this, I have to say it's somewhat concerning how much Gilbert declined. Yeah. 
Now, there are physical mm-hmm. issues there, and he hasn't been particularly good this year. No. Uh, Gilbert's pretty much the same player at Wichita he was at UConn. So maybe that's a coincidence, but I don't know. I was expecting Gaffney to look better than this. And I don't really understand what he's doing on offense far too much of the time. He's really feels like he's hunting for his shot a lot. I mean, he's dribbling the ball a ton and he's taking a lot of mediocre mid-range jumpers. And, you know, if you're hitting them, okay, I not as a point guard, but that's a useful player. But it, that can't be how we're running the offense. It's just there's you know there's no movement, right? And we we have these long possessions and then take a terrible shot at the end of them. Yeah, and I think what's like really just concerning to me about it is while Book is working so hard and really not getting very many good looks, like he's just making really hard shots and getting to the line a lot, like the rest of the offense is not getting good shots either. And that seems like a big problem to me. Like it's one thing if you're getting a lot of, like if Book is taking so much attention, and we saw this a lot with Kemba, right? Like it's why Shabazz and Lamb got a lot of good looks in 2011. Book is just not that player. Like he's not the point guard out there. He's not creating everything for the offense. He needs the offense to work for him. Uh, and it's not doing either very well. It's not getting him great looks and it's not getting other people great looks. And I, I genuinely don't really know what the solution is other than Cole just getting better or Gaffney figuring it out. One of those guys has to play better. That's, I mean, that's the reality. I guess if, I, if, I don't know which one of those is more like. See, I feel like I don't feel like the issue with Gaffney is that he's trying to find his shot because he's not really even taking very many shots. I feel like the issue is he's trying to get penetration and he hasn't been successful at it because like his game is predicated on getting penetration and then dishing to other people. And when he can't do that, his whole game becomes dysfunctional. It's like he hasn't even taken 30 shots yet this season. So like, I don't, I don't think it's that it's, it's shot hunting. I think it's that he's, he's still having trouble getting the kind of penetration he needs to be able to facilitate the offense, which is not good either. Cause you know, that's something I'll figure out. I mean, the stats aren't great. Don't get me wrong here. But like I said, I don't think it's that I don't think it's shot like hunting. I don't. It, it's just he's just not taking enough shots for for that to be the symptom. I just think he's just not he's just not getting in the lane the way he needs to. He's not getting by guys and like, and you know, maybe he's not quick enough, but I don't think that's the issue. I don't think it's an issue of of anything physical. no. I mean, his, his assist percentage right now is 11.6, which is would be very low for a guy playing point guard. It's it's the same as Book Knights, who's not playing point guard. Right. It's about half of what his rate was last year. Yeah. I mean, you say it's not physical, but, too, yeah. but as we discussed on the last pod, like th- we were told all offseason like, he was coming in with an explosiveness that was missing last year, and he actually looks slower to me, but I can't quite tell if it's – you know, if it's real or if it's just the offense moves so slow, it's almost like a trick of, you know, like, you know an optical illusion kind of thing. I don't know, because it feels like he's good in the open court. Like when they're trying to push the ball up in transition, he, he does fine. But it seems like when he's it's in the half court. Did he did he have like a foot or an ankle injury in late summer, early fall? Am I making this up? It's some sort of lower body injury that I think what he played with last year, right? By ankle sprain. Yeah. He had last year. He 
did also put on 15 pounds of muscle during the offseason. I mean, <laughs> the COVID 15 no. pounds of muscle. I did, I did not put on any muscle this summer. Nope. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. It just, I mean, it feels as though we're, we're fundamentally asking him to be something different than he was last year. Or if we're not asking him, he's taken it upon himself to do that. I mean, last year, he was brought in. To, he got the start last year because, I mean, to be real, I mean, we were getting nothing out of Al from both a scoring per standpoint and from kind of a, a ball handling, you know, uh, up running the offense standpoint. And, you know, J- and Gaffney came in and he provided stability and bringing the ball up the court. And he was able to get it to Vitale and he was able to get it to Book uh, to generate some offense. And, you know, Christian's gone now. We don't have a number two scorer. And whether he's being told by Hurley or whether he's trying to be that number two person himself, I mean, his game is his game is is changed, and from at least from where I'm watching, it seems like his game is fundamentally changed. And I just don't know that you know we need him to be that number two scorer. I think we need him to go back to being that game manager uh, to find the number two scorer, whether that's Cole um, or anybody else on the team at the time. It just it feels as though he's trying to do he's trying to do something that his skill set just fundamentally isn't a good match for at this point yeah i agree with that like last year his job was to essentially not make the same mistakes gilbert was making the problem was gilbert for all of his flaws of which were numerous like he was a point guard and i just gaffney just isn't a point guard like he doesn't do the things you need from the person who runs your offense Maybe he he's capable of it, but someone's going to have to turn him into that. And I think it's, well, that was always the thing is, is right. we knew when he was coming in, he was going to have to learn to play point guard when he got here. But I guess I thought after last year, well, he's playing point guard. That was the one thing he was doing. Yeah, but it's it's like when you're trying to 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 meld that part of that game with the other part, the, the part where the, the point guard needs to be a threat on offense. And he doesn't seem to be able to mesh those two things right now. Yeah. Right. Like he, his job was to almost like slow them down last year and just be like a steady presence and be careful. And don't and, turn the ball over. Right. And just not be erratic. Cause for as much as we all have, I tell like he was a little bit of, he was a little erratic. He was just awesome. Um, that was part yeah. of his value. Right. But it's now a, it's like we it's really a need a point guard who can just slash through the fucking defense and get all over the court, and he just can't do it. Um, and, and another, like with Cole, he hasn't really done it either, but then you see a little bit of flashes, but he, like, Cole looks small. And I don't he know does. whether that's fair or not, but like, he looks like a small guard in the Big East, and it's like, he's just easy to lose when he gets inside too so i i don't know i keep waiting for like you know he's improving and i i'm kind of clinging to the hope that he'll he'll just keep getting his legs under him and figure out how to best you know how to play in this conference and it'll just keep improving because i think that's uconn's best chance to make noise he needs to shoot better well yeah that's that too. that's the big issue i think with him if i think if that changes He's fine. So he went two of 13 against Creighton, three of seven against DePaul, two of eight against USC. I mean, that's three. Well, I mean, I guess that's not a terrible game against DePaul. Eight points on seven attempts is fine. He was fine. Yeah. That's fine. That's fine. But I I would also like him to be producing more volume. 
Right. But two of 13 for 12 points against Creighton was brutal. And that with six free throws that he made, only six. Yeah, it just seems like we either need a point guard who's going to be like a traditional point guard, who's going to run the offense, get book a lot of shots, get people, you know, mix into the offense, or we just need to say, fuck it, and have one of these guards, Cole probably, like just be a scorer and be like, Boat was not really, he wasn't a great point guard. He was just a great player who made a lot of shit happen. Like if Cole wants to approximate that or like whatever, 70% of that, cool. That'd be great. That'd be a super useful piece. But like, we're not really getting either of those right now. And then the other problem is like with Adams, Gaffney and Cole, they're all shooting pretty poorly. And like, other than Cole's defense, like, you know, Cole plays the best defense of the three, but the other two don't give you any other look. So like, they're all just kind of interchange like you interchange the same problems into new lineups, which is annoying adams is shooting 36 percent from three that's not bad it's, it's okay he i feel like he hit a couple in the last game i think Maybe. he had at least two against DePaul. yeah memory yeah, serves he, he's second on the team in three-point shooting <laughs> which is not great adams at 36 cole at 35 book at 33 gaffney at 31 holly at 27 yeah yeah he was two for two against DePaul from three and oh for three against Creighton. I will chime again with this point. You know, it is a weird season, and it's probably hard to get into a shooting rhythm strong yeah. if you're not playing games over weeks at a time. For sure. Uh, so, you know, we play, what, three, starting Tuesday, we play three games in six days, seven days. So uh, by the time we play DePaul again, I'd be interested to revisit some of these numbers and see if it's a trend or see what's going on. Oh, my God. We have, to do another we have this podcast. thing called a podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's that? There's never been a UConn podcast. Never. Someone should start one. Some, yeah. Maybe a Yankees. I also <laughs> am a little. Wait, are we start. recording this? <laughs> <laughs> this is Slack, right? <laughs> Slack Live. It all just, it all just erases after a while. Be a gift. Speaking of the the drought, though, like I do think it's insanely impressive that. Hurley's been able to keep this team operating at such a high level, considering they're they've had the shutdown. They're not playing games. I mean, by all accounts, they're running wind sprints on the field hockey field to try and stay in shape while they're 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 shut down and not practicing. Uh, I don't know. That's pretty impressive that you know they can take a break and go from USC to Creighton to DePaul and play at a, play at a high level. I, I was say- expecting us to look really bad against Creighton. Me too. They, I was expecting which we did to start. I will they have played really hard and really tough. Like that USC game, they won because they were the tougher team on the floor that day. And I feel like that has not been true of our team in a while, where it was like we just out toughed the other team. Like that that was that was the difference between winning and losing. And it's really nice to see a team that works hard on every possession and like is really tough and is not gonna like be worn down by the other team. That was a great example of what I was talking about earlier, where like if you play defense at that level, like you can win any game because that was, it felt so hopeless for a while when the offense just completely stopped and it was like, oh God, can we stop them from scoring 11 points in three and a half minutes? (laughs) They did. They did. Like, all right, well, yeah, I guess that works. Buckled down and made some free throws at the end of the game. That is, that is one thing I do have to give Jalen Gaffney. Yeah. 
uh, he is a pretty spectacular free throw shooter. Yeah, there's no one I'd rather have on the line at the end of the game than Gaffney. Same. This team makes their free throws. Yeah. I mean, book with, at 81%. With two, with two notable exceptions. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a bummer. But, like, you've got four of your most prominent three free throw shooters are shooting 75% or better. Yeah. As a team, they are shooting 72%, which is – Good, no, not as good as I had hoped it was going to be for my arguments. It's Top of the strategy, I feel like Hurley should employ is uh, these biggie strefs are a little like whistle happy. Yeah, and what like, the hell? Late in the quarters when you're in the double, when you're in double, uh, double bonus, just throw Gaffney on the floor and like let him just like drive into people. They'll just call some fouls and like let him go to the line and like make a couple of free throws. Yeah, not for nothing, but like I feel like Gaffney's pretty good at drawing fouls. Yeah. What, uh, he's What's good at drawing them. Rate? Questionable about him getting called, but five seventeen free throw rate, which is that's great, the highest on the team. And there are like several I can think of off the top of my head times when he got absolutely mugged in the lane, and then there were no calls on it. So he's got he's got plenty of uh, free throws for us. You should start making some two point attempts instead of just the one point attempts. That'd be great. I mean, then we'll build up to the three point attempts. Ooh, his effective field goal percentage is 379. Is <laughs> He's made 5 of 16 from two-point range. Yeah, you can't do that's, that. That's no good. He's no 5 good. of 16, and what's Cole? Cole is 6 for 19. So, I mean, that's, that's you know, a lot of your problem. Is that good? Right <laughs> that, that is, in fact, quite bad. No. What's Gaffney from three so far this year? Five for thir- uh, four for 13. So, not good, not great, but not awful. Yeah. It's not good. It's definitely not great. It's not great. But again, you know, if he goes two for three on Tuesday, then all of a sudden he's shooting like 40%. So that's all we can ask. It's very, very early. Yeah. Which feels weird because it's January 3rd. It's for, or for some teams. Some teams have played like 11 games. I know, it's weird. It's so, <laughs> weird. It's I think, so weird. I think Xavier's like 17 and three and they have four games left. Uh, it's pronounced Xavier. <laughs> Xavier. Thank the you. Charles Xavier sure, Charles. School for the. More gifted than Cincinnati. Right. <laughs> is UConn still second in the country in offensive rebounding percentage? Yeah, can we talk about that? Like that's that is, fucking crazy. Where the hell? Where the hell did that come from? You'll love to see it. Uh, Carlton Whaley and Martin. 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 Yeah. yeah. Sunogo too. Yeah. Sunogo is an excellent offensive rebounder. From yep. we have a lot of offensive rebounders. Those guys just that's like, the other cool thing about this is like the number of extra possessions we get because admittedly there are plenty of offensive rebounds to be had uh with all of these missed shots. But at least at least you're getting them down low. And Whaley's really good at putting them back in, which is another thing yeah. you like to see. I because Martin, I mean Martin is doubling his offensive rebound rate from his last year at Rhode Island. You love like it. How, how how much of that do we think is due to guys <laughs> crashing on book? Well, what were those two point percentages from Colin Gaffney again? Because <laughs> that might help. I was gonna, I mean, but like with with you know two three guys crashing on book that leaves you know weak side open things like that. Um, I mean, is that do we see that as sustainable? If people keep playing book night that way, then yeah, I I agree. I mean, the I offensive mean it, rebounding generally, I don't think they'll finish second in the country, but. It certainly seems sustainable because first. it's exactly for, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Who's I'll, first? Don't skyrocket to first. <laughs> They're uh, but it, it's stylistic. It's it's exactly how they play. 
Um, Cal State Bakersfield is first. Oh, we're gonna fuck them up. Cal State Bakersfield. (laughs) Schedule them during. Coming for you. (laughs) Once, once all of our other DePaul games get postponed, we'll schedule them. (laughs) It's funny. Martin is seventy sixth in the nation in O rebounding percentage, but he's uh, third on the team because Sonogo and Carlton haven't played enough minutes to qualify. (laughs) That's crazy. It's a good problem to have. Mm. Yeah, and I know I, I say this probably once a game while we when we watch it on Slack, but I, I do think Sonogo's positioning on a lot of these missed threes. I mean, it's he, he's such a, a naturally gifted rebounder in that regard. I mean, you know, he puts himself in a position where you can see he's kind of anticipating where he thinks the ball is going to bounce off the off of, off of a miss as the shot leaves a player's hand. It's super impressive. But Kyle, you're going to make Banner jealous if you talk about hanging out with us in the Slack. What's <laughs> <laughs> this pod going? Why not me? Eight hundred and seventy-five people in the Slack. <laughs> Everyone listening to this, except for Banner, is in the Slack. Right. So I don't know. I don't know what's what's the app matter with him. You join Slack and you get automatically subscribed on iTunes. Yeah, I, I download, delete, and then download again about four or five times a week. <laughs> That's everyone should, and then rate and review, please. <laughs> Only if it's positive. Jumping ahead, I think this is where I've laid out all of my like big concerns, I think. But what's really kind of scaring me a little bit about the point guard play and the offense generally, keeping in mind that the offense I didn't think was great last year either, is what this team looks like when you take book scoring away next year. Like it feels to me like there's going to be so much pressure on Hawkins to be a great scorer right away. Am I wrong? No, I'm nervous. I'm nervous about that exact thing. I'm well, trying think... to not let myself get consumed by it and enjoy just watching a real UConn team for the first time in a while. You know, hopefully some of the guys on the team, there are and there are many talented ones, improve enough before next season that you know, that's not the situation we find ourselves in. Maybe Sonogo just scores 20 points a game next year. I mean, there's a very good chance that we are you know, mostly attacking on the interior next year. You know, if you've got if you've got Sonogo and a Cook coming back, and that's your starting center and power forward, and Carlton and, and Whaley. If I don't know, I mean, who knows what those guys are going to do? <laughs> that oh, cool. that's right. They can, they can come back next year. <laughs> they could if they want to. Listen, if Whaley wants to come back for a bonus <laughs> year, like I feel like if anyone deserves an extra year because like Hurley forgot about him for a whole year. I feel like if anyone deserves one more year, it's Whaley. Isaiah Whaley, super senior. Yes. Give Let's it to go. me. <laughs> Isaiah, come back and set the all-time record for fouls. <laughs> Do it. I don't know what Travis Knight's record is, but you can break it, damn it. <laughs> I wonder if my future children will room with Isaiah Whaley at some point. It's possible. <laughs> we'll be in the Tim Fontenot Now I want to know who actually holds the foul record at UConn. I don't think they, but, I don't, if I remember correctly, and I might not, I don't think the, they're kept in the record books consistently enough to figure it out. RIP historical supplement. I remember at one point going through and trying to figure out who had the most technical fouls and you had to literally start reading the little game notes at the bottom of every box score. <laughs> Which it took, was Donnie Marshall. It was right? definitely like, Donnie Marshall. <laughs> um, it was probably Jim Calhoun. I'm well, yeah. Gonna throw that out there. Yeah. Shut up. Right. <laughs> Actually. 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 Yeah. I don't know. Travis had 307 personal fouls at UConn. <laughs> That's it. Let's check Jake the Snake Voskull. Yeah. How many did Jake have? He played a lot of minutes. 
Moscow. Oh, not even 437. Yeah. There you wow. go. Yeah. What, what did Nolan end up with? Uh, he I don't think he played enough to get up there. I'm guessing man. 190. If no one fell out. Wow. That's, yeah. That's yeah. way more than uh, There was 20 behind tonight. I no one fouling out. Give us Tyler Hollander. But, but no it's one so drew clear. 120 offensive fouls, so you need to net it out. Hollander. <laughs> 226. That's a good showing for a guy who only played. He played 1,876 minutes? How is that possible? Well, he's, he was a full-time starter for two years, and then the, the first and last year he started games and never played after the first time out. Oh my god! He played 22 minutes a game his junior year, and then eight minutes a game his senior year when we won the title. <laughs> but he started Does... the title game. That's right. He started two title games. He sure in did. Fact, in fact, he won two title games, unlike certain Hall of Fame head coaches. Olander also owns probably the most WTF clutch three in UConn history in Brooklyn against Maryland. That's right. Uh, in uh, was it November or December of? It was yeah, 2013. That, it was, yep. The first. And game. then became a minor league baseball player. And then yeah, with the game slip, with the lead slipping car. away, Olander just buries rapper. a corner three. Unreal. Should we uh, ask the people for a mailbag question? No. We don't care about the people. We do not care about the people. <laughs> They've been de- asking terrible questions. We've been talking a lot about like individual players and trends and things. Can we just acknowledge how great it was to whip a Big East opponent's ass? Oh man, I loved it. It was so good. And just like dominate a game from start to finish against like the fifth best team in the AAC. Just kicked them right around the court. It was beautiful. I hope to do it, it many really, more times. It really felt like 2009 again, and that's that's my happy place. It's glorious. I'm happy for you, Meech. You guys want to? Uh... Give me some predictions for Marquette on Tuesday. We're going to punch him in the mouth. I predict pain. <laughs> for whom? I, <laughs> the, I, 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 oh, man. I, I, I feel like we win that game. We're going to win. Like an I, think, I think we're going to win. I think I, me Marquette too. doesn't. No. Marquette's Defens- just, def- defensively, they've been awful in the Big East. I have more PTSD about playing Marquette than I thought I would. Like, I'm I'm expecting them to be incredibly annoying. I mean, likely. First road game, for whatever that's worth this season. Right. Being in Wisconsin is a disadvantage for anyone who doesn't live in Wisconsin. And for those who do live in Wisconsin. Yeah, but, you know, they're used to it. Milwaukee's cool. Is it? I mean, I've never been. That's what I hear. (laughs) They have sausage races. I mean, it can't it can't be all bad. I would. Is it like oh, the sausage just running right? I'm in. Peter's ready to eat some sausage. Peter booked a COVID flight. It's like I'm ready. <laughs> I I mean, look. I know everybody overrates their own athletic prowess, but I feel like I could be a competitive hot dog eater. I like, feel like you probably could actually. Depends on your strategy. Yeah, there's a lot of technique involved. I'm all raw talent. I'm like the Happy Gilmore of competitive eating. (laughs) Just a a three-step wind-up into a face plan of a plate of hot dogs. Throwing him down. He's in the the batting cage with just hot dogs just wailing him. Insisting on mustard on everything. I've always thought the hot dog eating contest, you should have to eat them like a real hot dog. Like, you should not be able to just, like... 
disassemble them. Yeah, and then and then like dip dip the bread and shit. Like nobody eats a hot dog like that. You should have to eat a real hot dog a real way, the American I like that way. Much. Absolutely, See, that, that's what I would win at. Because <laughs> I can eat a hot dog in two bites. We can test this theory. <laughs> like bam, bam, and it's gone. <laughs> at PK Bard, so, challenge this man. Let's get silly. So the Marquette prediction is how many hot dogs, Peter? <laughs> How many hot dogs can you eat before UConn scores its 10th point of the game? <laughs> as many as I'm allowed to cook. <laughs> if, if, my wife will be like, what are you? Because she, she comes to expect a certain level of just general bizarreness <laughs> in her home. Which she knew. She learned yeah. about this. We lived together for years before we got married. Yeah, she knew what she signed out for. Right. And she was like, yeah, I'm in. And I was like, Okay. But she, there's like um, when the pallet of hot dog or hot dogs a, arrive, it's a level of absurdity that is acceptable. It's a bridge too like, far. The standard of deviation from that baseline will be remarked upon. There's a a lot of amusement, you know, where she sees me and she's, "What is, what is happening?" And when I explain it, she's just, "Well, okay," and then. Back to she's watching uh, Alone. You guys see that one yet? No. It's a contest to see who can last the longest completely alone in the wilderness. Though they do do like medical checks. So this one guy's going to get kicked off because he's losing too much weight because he's only eating moose meat and it's like all protein. <laughs> I was wondering where like, Russ was. <laughs> he killed a moose like in the in the forest and he's got like a little hut that he made that like is nice and warm he's like i have plenty of food i have shelter i am fine i just I don't have any my body fat is dissolving and i was like i should go on this show <laughs> moose like hot an dogs? amazing diet i mean i you'd have to be able to kill a moose but i feel like i could kill a moose like whatever sounds like challenge number I, two the peter olympics are really shaping up <laughs> All of these things can be accomplished by a trip to Wisconsin, by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just go to the game. You know what we haven't talked about, guys? We haven't talked about Paige Buckets. Oh, don't oh, worry. Yeah. We should talk about women's basketball. I, I have a whole second bullet list of downer bullet points about the women's team. I'm just kidding. There are only two. But Paige Buckets being uh, the greatest player in America is probably the best part of my winter. Man, I like I was expecting her to be really fucking good and somehow somehow she's still actually better than I anticipated her being. Which yeah. is absurd. I remember before Walker left, I was like maybe Paige won't start. Maybe Avina will play point guard. That seems like a totally possible thing that could happen. And now that seems insane. Mm-hmm. Absurd. And that's not even because there's anything wrong with Avina. She's playing fucking incredible. But, like, Paige is still better. Like, and the thing I love the most about this is she's still working really hard to be, like, a distributor and, like, get other people in the game. And Gino is extremely mad about it. Yeah. He's like, no, take your fucking shots. Like, I love that that's her. I do like that that's her attitude because I think as a freshman, like, it is good to still want to have that and, like, that she's the kind of person who isn't just looking for her own stats. Like she, she wants to win. And for her, it feels like she has to, you know, elevate those around her, which is a very Diana Taurasi sort of style that I appreciate. Though I will say, as I've seen her play more, I see a lot of Sue Bird in her game too. Like, especially the passing 
like the no look passes, there's a lot of there's a lot of Sue Bird in there too. Her, her mid range game is like a classic Bird to me. Oh my god, she does kind of feel like a hybrid of both of those players. Yeah, right. We need the thing that that Paige has not shown me yet, which is something that that Tarasi and Bird both uh, exhibited. Was it's not just a desire to win; it's a desire to yeah. to humiliate someone, right? Like yeah. to pick someone and say, "I'm going to exert my dominance over you." I feel like Tarasi did that a lot, and like that's how she motivated herself. Yeah, we call that Jordaning, right? <laughs> <laughs> Although I think a lot about remember. Uh, was it after uh, the Jordan doc when somebody asked Gino about Tarasi and Tarasi and Gino said the difference is Tarasi. Like if you ask any of her teammates, they'll say she was great. And you ask any of Jordan's teammates, they'll say he was an asshole. Like you could tell yeah, pa- Paige wants played, to be a good teammate. Like everyone who's played with Diana Tarasi, like loved playing with her and would want to play with her again. And like everybody, like it was miserable playing with Jordan. I want her to get mad. Yeah. Which she yeah, hasn't really think, had a cause to because they haven't played anybody. Things are just coming so easy to her right now. Like, she hasn't been challenged. Right. And we're winning games by 30, and, you know, we're going to keep winning games by 30 because the Big East is not great. But I'm, I'm very interested to see her play South Carolina. We can play Baylor on Thursday. Yeah, B- uh, Baylor coming up, yeah. I mean, yeah, Thursday night. Uh, a kind of kind of game where she could be – where she's going to need to perform and she's going to need to be, you know, at her best against a team that can beat us. Paige is shooting 57% on twos, 50% on threes, and 74% on free throws. So really, yeah, it's like, count. make more free throws, Paige. What the fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, get, that that to get that to 90%. 90% on threes or on threes. You know what? On threes, too. Yep. The thing, too, is like she can already just do whatever the fuck she wants with the ball. Like She can get past anybody she wants. She can make any pass she wants. She, like, she just goes anywhere she wants. Like that uh, I forget which game it was that third quarter um, set play they had for her to just go up the court. Oh yeah, and Aaliyah Edwards like set the like gnarliest screen, and she just blew past five defenders and put it in, and like there was nothing anybody could do about it. And I, it's astounding how good she is at that already. And she should probably be averaging like eight assists a game if Westbrook and uh, Williams were even like moderately good three-point shooters for the first, whatever it was, three games of the season. Yeah. Yeah. And Nelson Adota, who's been, who's been great, missed a lot of bunnies and then got her own rebound and put him back. <laughs> which well, I Edwards is absurdly good also, which is really, really fun. She's really impressed me. I, I did not expect her to be this good this quickly. Yeah, she really I think she should be starting. I love that Gino is not afraid to play her and Ono together. I want to see that more. Against I want to see You're going to see that against game. Baylor. Because they're both quick enough and they both have enough shooting range that you're not, it's not like you're, you know, you're limiting your offense. They, they can both move on defense. They both can block shots and rebound. Like I want to get back to that when we had two bigs and just overpower people. And I mean, as we've talked about a lot on this pod, like UConn has been overpowered the last few years in the tournament and watching Edwards out there. It's like, oh, cool. That's over. 
and she's a freshman. Imagine how strong she's going to be in two years. <laughs> that, that's where I get the same thing I said about the men's team where I'm watching it and I keep getting like the thought in my head of next year, like, oh God. And I have to like bring myself back and be like, whatever, it's, it's this year, it's happening. Like I find myself doing that with the women's team, but in opposite where I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, they're going to be so good next year. <laughs> Yeah, because it's like gonna this... be this plus AZ FUD also yeah. out. And yeah, all of these players are going to be one year better. Yep. Yeah, even if we weren't adding the best <laughs> right. player in the country next year. <laughs> right, just getting another year of Ono and Beckers. Yeah, that's gonna be a bizarrely talented team. I mean, somebody's gonna have to wash out. There's just no way you're gonna be able to have enough minutes for everybody. I but... do love my the thing I love about Edwards is that she's not afraid to just absolutely body somebody. Like that when she came in in that first like five minutes and of her career and just set uh, made that like aggressive, ludicrous, offensive foul. I was like, oh, oh, okay, you're here for that. That's great. But even like she will go up into contact. She will take contact. Does not care. And I love it. I love that about her. And Ona looks amazing. Ona, this is my theory. Is um, this is the Jamel Elliott effect? Um, because I feel like Ono's like whole vibe of how she was playing has changed dramatically and it coincides with Jamel Elliott coming on to be an associate uh, coach. And if you ever saw Jamel Elliott play back in the day, she was like the toughest person on the floor all the time. Her and Jen Rosati would have like murdered each other when they played pickup games. So they always had to be on the same team. Um, And like Jamel just, no one ever played tougher than Jamel Elliott. And I feel like she's like imparted that in some way onto, oh no. I mean, she it's definitely looks less timid and just more fucking badass, which is yeah. all we wanted from her. Like, we kept waiting for it. I guess there's a caveat, which is the Big East is fucking shit. Yeah, this is a bad, bad, bad league right now. So, like, it will be interesting to see what happens with, like, Seton Hall is a high school team. That was bad. You know, it wasn't too bad. Oh, wait, so not all... Seton Hall. I'm sorry. I'm thinking Creighton, aren't I? Creighton. Yeah. Creighton they... and Xavier, we both... They were terrible. Oh, was, oh, Xavier was absurdly bad. That was a game that started like thirty to four or thirty-five to four, something like that. Something like that, yeah. I think it was like I think it was worse. Wasn't it like thirty-nine to five at one point? Something, yeah. And they were in the score up on them. It was you know not even on purpose, but Seno was pretty scrappy. I had to give them yeah, some credit. They no, actually have right. a couple of good players. I was I was and, thinking Creighton. And DePaul, I mean, DePaul is a real team, but the fact that we beat him by 20 was pretty nice. But it like it wasn't even the same kind of win like with USF where they'd be like, oh, it's going to be close. And it was never a real game. Like it was a real game with DePaul for at least like a quarter and a half. I'll say the difference between USF and DePaul was you can tell DePaul was well coached. Like they came in with a plan. Yes. They were just the worst. They were the worst team on the court. And they got they got run, but like that was a it was a well executed like it was a good plan. They just weren't good enough. Yeah, they couldn't make their free, their three pointers. If they were making their three pointers, it would have been a game for longer. Yeah, I was gonna say I kind of I respect DePaul because they don't do anything to like muck up the game, and that plays extremely to their disadvantage when they play us. But it makes you know, it makes it at least for an aesthetically pleasing game. Right. Unlike Tulane and the AAC or old school <laughs> right. Villanova, who just played the most right. unwatchable brand of basketball ever. Villanova actually might be doing something over there. So that could be that could be another one that might actually give us a game. Yeah. There, there, there are five Big East women's teams who are 500 or better overall. Um, obviously, we're undefeated. Marquette, Villanova have one loss. Seton Hall has two losses. DePaul has three. I don't expect 
any of those teams to challenge no. this team. No. Do we think uh, a third team will make the tournament? One of Marquette or I think one of Marquette or Villanova could. So already that's a huge improvement. I mean, maybe over too, like, you know, it's hard to say. 3x improvement over the AAC. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's hard to say with the with the women's teams. It's not like there's a ton of locks necessarily. Yeah. You know, in the American, like what was driving me crazy is they wouldn't have a real game. Like they'd have one game, like their non-conference February game as a prep in the last like two months before the final four. And then they'd run up against the team with like a level of shooting or physicality or speed that they hadn't seen since December. Like it was really annoying. And I I don't think this league offers much of a change from that, at least this year. But I also think this year's UConn team is just much better than they have been the last couple of years. I'm pretty pumped. Yeah. I think you're, you're going to see over the next few years, a few teams really start to like consistently put together good rosters that, you know, maybe actually build it. Villanova would be my, that's probably my Villanova or Marquette, but yeah. I, I, my money's on Villanova really to be the one that like takes the next big step up. Yeah. And well, I, I mean, next step up is probably like DePaul level, right? Like I'm not sure yeah. anyone will ever get to like what Notre Dame was or like peak era Rutgers was in the big East, but if, they, I mean, if you there never are a couple, know. just like three solid tournament teams per year and then like one or two that challenge for it every other year, like that's fine. Yeah, that's enough. The other person we haven't discussed, guys, is um, Avina Westbrook, who I think has played a lot better, um, especially in her last game. I thought she, like, really found her uh, shot. But I think overall she's played really well this season. Um, Like, it felt like she was having trouble finding, like, her groove on offense a little bit. But so she was doing, like, everything else, you know, assists and steals and playing great defense and all this stuff. And it, like, finally seemed to come together in the last game. And it's like, man... She's changing positions, going from point guard. She's been playing like two years. Now she's playing on the wing and like doing this entirely different job and being asked to come in and like be a leader of a team that she has not played a game for before. Like it's a very interesting role she's in. And I think she's doing a really great job. She rules. She reminds me, she's like supercharged Tyrese Martin, right? Like it's kind of like the same thing where I'm watching the game and I'm like, wow, she's playing amazing. And then I look at the stats and she's like one for six. And I'm like, oh, go figure. Because, like, she's just doing everything else all over the court. And I'm like, wow, she's playing a great game. And then you're like, oh, I really didn't notice that she's not shooting well. That does she's feel like... She's a great passer. Yeah. Like, and it a does really like great passer. The shooting's coming. Like, it's coming. And when she starts yeah. making, like, whatever, 38, 40% of threes, like, people are in big trouble. Also, Makarot looks like she was starting to find her shot. And even Christy Williams is finding her shot a little bit more, too. I just, it's like, it's slowly but surely, I feel like they're starting to find their shooters. Because, man, if people start being able to bomb threes and Paige Bucket is just like driving and slashing through the lane, it's, they're going to be unstoppable. Yeah, I guess that's the thing with this team is it's like, if everybody's playing more or less to their potential, what does this team not do well enough to win a national championship? Right. Like, what would be missing? Their defense is incredible right now. They're playing amazing defense. And I feel like, especially now that they can really defend the post, like a real physical post play, there's not a, like, they're not going to give up a lot of points to anybody. It doesn't feel like they need, like there are so many options on offense. And like, we haven't even talked about like Aubrey Griffin yet. Like there are a lot of people who can score when you need them. Like this is, it's an embarrassment of riches. 
I feel much better about this team with Williams as the third best player than I did when I thought she was going to have to be the first best player coming in. Yeah. I, I mean, Ono's Ono's last game, she had what, like 20, 20 and 10 or something? 20 and 12? Yeah, she's, she's been outstanding. She's, I mean, I don't know what the numbers are nationally, but she has to be one of the very best centers in the country now. Crazy. I mean, she certainly looks first team All-American good. Yeah. Williams frustrates me a little though i'll be honest yep yeah, she's not playing great i actually feel like she's kind of the opposite of westbrook where like i get really frustrated and then i'll look at the box score and be like how does she have 14 points how does know. that happen i don't know how i don't know maybe because you're bad at the eye test maybe <laughs> the only team i'm really genuinely concerned about is stanford and that's partly just because Tara Vanderveer has always like she's the only coach who ever gives Gino a run for his money on the X's and O's. And like she's she's put together some really solid game plans against him in the past. And like if there's anybody that makes me nervous, it's Tara Vanderveer. And she's got a great squad this year. They held Arizona State to four points in the first quarter today. Ridiculous. I mean, Arizona State's pretty trash, but still. Like, They're seven and three. They just beat the shit out of Arizona, though, too, right? Yeah, yeah they're really good. My it's only other uh, nitpick was that Makarot looked really slow to me. Like, I don't know whether it's whether she had to play the four more last year. I don't. Something's just, she looks a little slow. I mean, she's kind of slow. She's oh, she's not a quick player or a fast player. I feel That's like not it, what it's, she's bringing. it's getting exposed more on defense. Well, we're playing faster. I mean, we have as a team, I think, better athletes on the court. It's one of those things, and again, because like this is how I watch the UConn women's team now in conference play, which is I just watch them thinking like, how does this translate against good teams? And I'm like, I'm not sure you can keep Makarat on the court if she needs to guard a really good That may wing. be the case, but which is if, where if I'm going with this. Case, is I want Griffin to play more. Griffin, I think Griffin should play more. Yeah. Aubrey's I been... think Griffin and Edwards should both play more. Makarat should be on there when you need, but you, nobody's hitting shots and you need some, you need a shooter. She is also a great player to have when you're trying to play in transition because she's really good at getting the ball up the court on a pass. She's a great She's passer. a very good passer. She's a very good shooter. And she's a good rebounder, so she's somebody who's who can like get a rebound, turn around, dribble the ball a couple of times, and then launch a pass from half court into the post. Like, it's a it is a valuable skill set on this team. The yeah. Euro assist. The Euro assist, indeed. That, and actually, I feel like the European players all love that move. It's catch the ball and just chuck it up <laughs> over the defense. She also go often goes through the defense, which I find very impressive because she can like kind of like thread the needle in transition and it's it's fun to watch i think i'd like to split the difference so macarat's at 30 minutes griffin's at 15 like yeah put them each at like 22 or whatever i'm good i will also say i'm glad that um edwards is back and i'm glad that nika mule is back now that we're playing baylor because i think nika's really a really solid defender she's still got to like learn the difference elbow shift to somebody She's like, she's so fierce on defense. I love her so much, but she is still a little European on the what is or is not a foul. And like, I love it. And she's not wrong that they, they do kind of like call it a little pathetic, but. Yeah, but yeah. sometimes she just fouls the shit out of people. And it's yeah. like, what? <laughs> I mean, I, I also respect that energy. 
it'll come. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what that Croatian semi-pro women's, you know, club circuit is like. It's but probably violent. Apparently they're beating <laughs> there are, the shit out of There are definitely people smoking cigarettes in the gym. Oh, yeah. <laughs> On the bench. Yeah, it's, the coach is 100% smoked. With worse lighting. She has to hand somebody her cigarette when she goes into the game. I would start Edwards. I want to see more Griffin. I I hope Paige does not sit first Baylor personally, but I think the fact that Gino came into the season with like no no like Paige is our go to player. This she is the one who's going to have the ball the end of the game. She's the one who is going to need to be the person that like takes over in the clutch, and he just like needs to convince her of that while also telling her she's like the worst player in America. And I don't really know how he does that. But somehow he will. There are absolutely kids that that's the only way to motivate them is to just tell them that they're garbage so that they get mad at you. They're like, you think I'm garbage? Well, watch this. Have you been watching any of the um, SNY shows, which are great, by the way? Shout out SNY. I love them all. Where it's like Gino doing the zooms with the old teams. Oh, that was amazing. With the mm. 95 team was glorious. Tina Charles was just being like, Gina just kicked me out of practice. Every practice, he would just be like, get out. <laughs> <laughs> Turned her into one of the best players in women's basketball history. Like, go figure. It worked. Sarah Walters was talking about it, about how she was. She said I was the worst right. big in America for four years. It was like, and, and one national player of the year. One of those years. So... Yeah, I mean, I don't like Walters is one of those ones where like you forget like she was the best player in the country. Yeah, sure was. She was also six seven. Like it's not you know she, they just like hooked the ball over and she would catch it and turn around and like put it into the. It's crazy to think about that team, that ninety five team starting yeah. a six seven Walters and a six five Lobo. Absurd. Together. Well, that's absurd. a preposterous lineup. And like Lobo was super mobile for that size. Like that's let's be honest, that size white girl like. You wouldn't look at her and expect her to be that skilled and that mobile, but she really was. And she could hit the three. Good. Yeah. And she was, should come on was, the pod. She should come on the pod. I'm wearing a Rebecca Lobo French braid right now. Look at that. She invented it. The funny thing about it is I don't think she even knows how to do one. Like Pam Weber used to braid her hair for her. She like graduated and like never had a French braid ever again. Michelle Pam Weber. Pam Weber. Well, what are yeah. Pam Weber's up to these days? She's yeah. listening to the podcast right now. Come on the pod. Didn't she date Donnie Wahlberg for a while? Donnie, uh, Wait, Donnie oh, well, that was the wrong Donnie one. Wahlberg. Wait, Donnie what? Marshall. Donnie oh. Marshall. Holy shit. I get those <laughs> two mixed up all the time. <laughs> Didn't she anyway. date Jordan Knight for a while? I mean, Travis Knight. <laughs> Travis Knight. <laughs> that actually would have made probably more sense, frankly. Maybe she dated someone. I don't know. I that was a great one. This was a while ago, Pre- right? Presumably, yeah, I think in college, yeah, when they were yeah. in college. I don't know what I don't know. What she's been up to these days. Yeah, I have no idea. That was some hot nineteen nineties gossip we just broke on this podcast. That <laughs> fucking ruled. I learned that. I feel Which like that was Donnie. When... He's the, the, one. the worst the one. one. He was the first famous one. Uh, not Mark, the other one. The new kids on the he block was, one, he, not the Marky Mark. Hamburger chain, or departed okay. one. Okay. Yeah. Donnie Wahlberg was not in Transformers that we know of. <laughs> he was Bumblebee. I don't think there's any way to prove he that. Was in the sixth sense. He was in the sixth sense. That's true. The thing about yeah. the sixth sense is. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. It was good. 
I don't know if I'll hold I up. really like this bit now. Even though it's absurd, we've just like turned that one up to full absurdity, but I like it. Tyler's never seen a movie, actually. <laughs> I love that I've never seen a movie, but I'm just like live live tweeting you guys as I watched Rampage starting The Rock <laughs> on HBO last night. <laughs> I haven't well, seen any film. movie That's made before movie. 1995, but I will watch Rampage in my free time. <laughs> How was that? Fucking awful. I only made it like 20 minutes. Don't worry. I'm going to keep watching it, but it takes, me five, it takes me five days to watch a movie now. Like the game that it is based on was not like a story filled game. It was like you're you turn into a giant gorilla or a giant lizard or a giant wolf whatever one you happen to be oh, i haven't gotten to the lizard yet i must not be just, very far into this movie <laughs> destroy these buildings and then you destroy the buildings and then you go to the next city and you destroy more buildings and it keeps going and going and going and they're like tanks and stuff shooting you there's no like thing about like a real gorilla that like was friends with the rock what which i, I didn't see the movie so i don't understand how it works Rampage. This just makes me think of Homestar Runner, Peter. The Rock is like a zoologist <laughs> who who cares for the gorilla, and then some shit like falls from space or something, and the gorilla goes bonkers. The things wow. that they will try to convince us that the Rock can do, and everyone's just like, "Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine." Zoologist, sure. Yeah, I believe it. The, the only Rock thing I believe is that he he pulled a helicopter out of the sky in the last Fast and Furious. Movie. <laughs> the thing about the last Fast and the Furious movie is. <laughs> Yeah, that's true for me too. Yeah. <laughs> As an action film aficionado, I think they're really overrated. Ooh, ooh, ooh. hot take. Kind of hot wow. takes at the eighty-eight minute mark of the pod. I, I mean, they're fine. Action. Like they're, but people are like these are great action movies. I'm like they're fine action movies. They're a little you know, John too, Wick. They're a little too cute for me. Yeah, John Wick fucking rules. Thing about. <laughs> You gonna get mad? I the can't get mad. I how can't many get John mad Wicks anymore. are there? Three. Three. I've seen They're one. I saw the first one. That's the best one. Okay. Like the scene the, where he goes into the nightclub. Like, what a great action scene that is. The only thing I really remember is the dog, which is upsetting. That is upsetting. I skipped the beginning of the movie when I rewatch. I'm like, I don't need this. I I understand the context. I would have hated this guy even if I didn't know that he was a dog murderer. He just has that kind of face. Another movie for you to never watch, Tyler. Oh is uh hard boiled the funny thing like is tyler has the bit but i've probably seen fewer movies than tyler has in my normal life me not seeing movies is not really a thing it's only a thing because the bards like the movies from an era i missed you mean anything before yeah the 80s college the (laughs) 80s and earlier i don't go back things are bad from then oh no 80s movies are great Mm. Oh, boy. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Dime Bad Podcast. Until next time, we'll see you later. Bye.